From the editorial team at the Northeast News, I'm Elizabeth Orozco, and this is the Northeast Newscast, a weekly podcast where we sit down with community leaders and members to have important discussions about all things Kansas City. This week, we're getting an update on the renovations at the Kansas City Museum. The museum, originally the home of lumber baron Robert A. Long, sits on a three-acre private estate that consists of Corinthian Hall and its outbuildings. Long lived in the four-story, 35,000-square-foot home with his wife and two daughters from its construction in 1910 until his death in 1934. After his death, his daughters, Sally and Lula, held a two-day auction to sell the remaining items in the home. After the auction, the Long daughters donated the estate to the Kansas City Museum Association in 1939. Today, the museum is undergoing an extensive renovation. Interior architectural construction is complete. We have a little bit more exterior renovation that is happening right now. We're finishing up the front stairs of Corinthian Hall. On the inside, we are finishing up construction documents for exhibitions, interactive digital technologies that will be in gallery spaces. That is Anna Marie Tutera, Executive Director of the Kansas City Museum. As a child, Tutera grew up across the street from the museum in her family home on Gladstone Boulevard. Today, she oversees the former Long family estate and its renovation. Well, we are here today with Anna Marie Tutera. Thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate your time and for you coming in. We're going to talk a little bit about the museum, what you guys have going on. You're going to give us some updates, some events that you guys have going on this week and throughout the month of December. Um, So I'm really excited to give our listeners some updates on the museum. It's been a little while since we've talked, so I'm sure you have plenty of updates for us. Let's go ahead and start off with the renovations. Um, Last time we talked, stage one was complete which is Corinthian Hall so let's talk a little bit about that and where you are now in the renovation process. Absolutely so architectural construction is complete we have a few I should say interior architectural construction is complete we have a little bit more exterior renovation that is happening right now and if you drive by the museum you can see it we're finishing up the front stairs of Corinthian Hall, and we are finishing up the elevator lift on the west side of the front porch. We made the front porch ADA compliant, and so that lift is a really important component of that, and we just have some finishing touches on that, and then we will be completely done. On the inside, we are finishing up construction documents for exhibitions, interactive digital technologies that will be in gallery spaces. We are working with our museum design team headed by Gallagher & Associates, which is our museum design firm. And we are working on exhibit design and finishing up content development. So basically what we call writing the script for the exhibitions, all of the print interpretive panels, and then writing the content for any of the media 
pieces. So that's really exciting that we are at this stage. We most recently engaged with our exhibit scriptwriter, Sharon Shahid, who has been in the museum field for decades. What and a cool we're job. really excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I she has know, a really great job. I didn't even know that was a job. But yes. That sounds really cool. <laughs> and she really understands our mission and our vision. She understands what we are trying to accomplish with the exhibits and how the exhibit content interacts with and advances program content, how that works with the technology component. She really understands that we are looking to surface untold stories about Kansas City's history and create personal profiles in the content. And that the museum is really a space of encounter and a space where conversations happen about the past, present, and future of Kansas City. We really aim to create this multicultural environment, an inclusive experience where visitors really feel like their stories are represented, their culture is represented in the museum, and always making opportunities to create content with visitors. When visitors feel that there could be more representation of their background, their experiences, their stories. And so writing that script is a really important part because it really is the foundation. That print content in the exhibits is really the foundation because then that leads, that gives us a roadmap to create the programming and to create all of the other interpretive experiences for the museum. As part of that, I know you have been hosting or the museum has been hosting community input sessions to kind of gather community, well, I guess community input (laughs) regarding um, the content of the exhibits or the museum itself. So I want to talk a little bit about why that was important to include during this renovation process to kind of get input from the community and I would love to know I've only been to one session that was in the Northeast community and the flow of it the ideas behind it the whole process of letting the community know why their voices were important and how Blanca led led the group through the different pictures and, and really wanted to talk about their individual perspectives on things so tell me a little bit more about the community input sessions and kind of what you have seen from them so far. So we have a team of educators who are working with us. We have individuals like Blanca Anchando Polite and Lisa Middlebrook and Orly McKenzie. And then we are also working with organizations, Black Repertory Theater, Arts and Aging Kansas City. And so we have this great team of educators. We decided together to use a methodology, um, restorative practices methodology, to create our education and public programs. The core of that is community input and community engagement. So it's developing these education and public programs with the community, not for the community, but with the community. And starting at a place where we have a good understanding of the types of education and public programs that 
the community would like to participate in, would like to see at the Kansas City Museum. And so the educators have been leading these community input sessions. And really what they do is they take those who participate in the sessions through the process of exhibit design, where we are in that process, the themes and the topics of the different galleries, how we are addressing Kansas City's history, the artifacts that are being selected for exhibition galleries, so that people get a sense of how we are creating the experience and where programs fit into that experience. They are prioritizing programs for children, youth, and families right now. And so the sessions give us a really great opportunity to be in conversation with community members. Um, It also helps us understand, too, oral histories that community members would like to see us capture, because we will have an interactive story sharing space on the third floor of the Kansas City Museum. And we're working on oral history content with one of our educators, Oralee McKenzie, and another curator, Dr. Jean Chavez are really taking the lead on that with the Kansas City Public Library. We have a partnership with the library to think about how oral histories will be collected, stored, preserved over time, and eventually how visitors can come to the Kansas City Museum and leave their own stories, um, record their own stories, and what that will look like over time in the museum. So they are really good opportunities, and we'll continue to do community input sessions. This is the first part of that. This will really get us started so that we can understand how to develop the programs that visitors will be able to experience in the museum starting in 2021. But there is always opportunity throughout the development of programs to have community input. And then there's all of the evaluation and assessment that happens when visitors actually come to the museum and experience those programs. Have you been able to look at any of the results of the community input sessions or kind of see, or kind of are you waiting till the end to kind of gather all the information or what does that look like? Yeah, we're waiting until the end. We have two more sessions in December and then the team will regroup. We also have teachers who are going to be a part of the team, elementary and high school teachers who are going to serve as advisors and be a part of that team starting in January and in February. So it's kind of this layered approach. We'll gather the input. We will all get together in December and see the results of that input. And then we'll add another layer of advisors to the team. And then we'll start the development in early 2020. Also, now tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, but also part of this gathering content was working with students from UMKC. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. So we are working with the Center for Neighborhoods with Executive Director Dina Newman and Dr. Jacob Wagner. We are also working with students from the Architecture, Urban Planning, and Design program at UMKC. In fact, a class was dedicated to the Kansas City Museum this fall, and the students are really focused on providing support 
and content and research for our neighborhood gallery that will be on the third floor of the Kansas City Museum. And that gallery will have content that changes one to two times a year and will be focused on different neighborhoods in Kansas City. But we will create those exhibits, we'll create the print content and the media content with the residents of those neighborhoods. And so the first exhibit will focus on the historic Northeast as an in entire area, so comprised of several different neighborhoods. And then thereafter, the goal is to focus on one singular neighborhood and develop that content with resident leaders, looking at the history of those neighborhoods, historic preservation needs, other critical issues in neighborhoods, looking at hopes and dreams for neighborhoods, and then not only showcasing that material at the Kansas City Museum, but also creating a component that continues to live in the community, whether it's an exhibit or a display or a series of radio programs or a play or a piece of art, who knows what the outcome will be. Um, and it will vary from neighborhood to neighborhood, but the experience is twofold, something that you can experience at the Kansas City Museum and then something that you can also experience in the neighborhood. Well, I am definitely looking forward to that. And again, anticipated opening date is December 2020, correct? Yes, okay. we, we are going to have pre-opening events in fall. We're aiming for October, November, and December. And then the grand reopening with exhibits and amenities and regular public hours in spring of 2021. Okay, so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about, I know bringing attention to the arts or um, the investment of the arts is very important to the vision of Kansas City Museum. So let's talk a little bit about local artists that you will have working with the museum or displaying their work at the museum. So let's talk a little bit about that and kind of how you're engaging local artists in this renovation. Absolutely. So that engagement happened several years ago. We determined that it was very important for us to have artists be on the architectural design team and provide input on the design of the museum, the design of the visitor experience plan um, with Gallagher and Associates. And so we had three artists who were subs to the architects, International Architects Atelier, Renee Cinderhouse, Michael Toombs, and Karen McCoy. And they worked with us for a number of months, coming to our design meetings, providing input, reviewing plans, um, helping us think through aspects of future public art in the museum and art commissions. And so we're going to continue with that model for sure as we move into stage two of the Kansas City Museum project. We will continue to have artists a part of our design team. And really this comes directly from the Arts Convergence Plan um, that was produced back in 2013. It does talk about 
embedding artists in city planning and design projects. And so we realized that for the Kansas City Museum through stage one of the project. In addition to that, we have three 1% for Art artists who are actively creating works for the Kansas City Museum in three different locations. And we'll be able to talk more about that in the in the coming months as we confirm the concepts and the locations of the pieces. But those should be completed probably by the end of 2020 and installed. We've recently installed a beautiful light sculpture called Luminous by artist Linda Lighton. And that is a piece that's in the salon of Corinthian Hall on the first floor. And then the Kansas City Museum Foundation, which is the nonprofit that helps to support the Kansas City Museum Project, will commission additional art pieces for the Kansas City Museum over time, both permanent and temporary. So the engagement, the inclusion of artists is very important for the Kansas City Museum experience. We, we do have an art commission that we are working on right now, and we'll be able to give more details on that in spring of 2020. But the foundation has commissioned artist James Terrell, who works with light, he's a sculptor, to create what is called a sky space in the conservatory building on the property. The conservatory was built as a conservatory for plants in 1910 and then in the early 50s it became the planetarium the building was transformed into a planetarium and it was a very beloved iconic feature of the kansas city museum so creating this sky space really allows us to continue that history and a sky space is a specifically proportioned chamber that has an aperture or an opening in the ceiling so that you can see the sky and sky spaces can be autonomous structures or they can be integrated into existing architecture ours will be integrated into the existing architecture of the conservatory building so that we can historically restore the exterior of the conservatory building so I think it'll be a really special feature um, for reflection for programming and And I think it'll be a really dynamic piece for Kansas City in general. And before we started recording, you said this would be the only one in Kansas or Missouri. Is that correct? Yes, at this time. At this time. I think the closest one to us is at Crystal Bridges. And I think for us, the engagement of artists at this time is so important because we want to make sure that the community, that funders, that stakeholders really understand that dynamic arts and cultural experiences should be spread equitably throughout the city, not always confined to one area or one district or one corridor, but that there can be cultural corridors throughout this city, on the east side, on the west side, Southland, Northland. That's really important for us as a city museum that that type of activity and investment 
takes place throughout the city. It is wintertime, which means Christmas and which means fairy princess. <laughs> so I definitely want to talk a little bit about the fairy princess and maybe give us a quick history about the fairy princess because I think that there are a lot of people who have grown up with the fairy princess and that experience um, and a lot of people who have not. Um, and then let's get, give our listeners um, some dates and status on tickets. So the fairy princess started in Kansas City at Klein's department store in 1935 and the Kansas City Museum picked it up as a tradition decades ago and it is really special and families wait to come to the fairy princess every year and we've had generations come grandparents who actually saw the fairy princess visited her when they were kids coming now with their grandchildren and so it's beloved and we absolutely enjoy doing it every single year this year the fairy princess will take place once again at our 800 broadway location so we have been operating that location since we went under construction at Corinthian Hall so that we would still have a programming space and an exhibition space and so Fairy Princess will be there again this year um, December 11th 12th 13th 14th and 15th and you can find information on our website and you can purchase tickets in advance on our website. We still have some tickets left, although there is limited capacity at this point in time. And the goal is to bring Fairy Princess back next year in Corinthian Hall. Hey, it's going to be so fun. Absolutely. So how do you go about the Fairy Princess selection process? So it's, it's usually word of mouth. We'd like to have a group of fairy princesses that are the same from year to year, and then integrating new fairy princesses into the mix. Paul Gutierrez, who is our programs director, really develops and implements the entire fairy princess program. So we've had a couple fairy princesses who have been with us for a number of years, and I think this year we have a couple of new ones really and sometimes it is um visitors who come and say hey i have a um, a daughter who i think would love to be a fairy princess and so then it's just a it's a conversation with paul well i can see my little one she's only five but i can see <laughs> you're already making plans i can her. see her wanting to do that in the future so maybe hold a spot for her okay because i think she would love to do that for sure yeah <laughs> it's a it's a it's a commitment you know it's a time commitment yeah, for I was, sure. I think last year I took pictures and I was there for maybe just like an hour and a half. And I mean, there were just people lined up just, yes. you know, I think it's so fun. And I think I love that you had other activities there for the kids yes. too. Um, they were able to like make the bracelets. Well, like they always little, get a treat. Yeah. And they get little wands and little, yeah, yes, we usually have so some items for purchase. Mm-hmm. You know, you always get a beautiful picture with her. It's really magical when you actually experience it and see the excitement 
of the children. It's it's very special. Do we have any other events coming up that you want to mention or anything that's important for our listeners to know? We do have a public program coming up on Wednesday, December 4th from 6 to 7.30 at our 800 Broadway location. And it's called Fashion Forward, Casey Style, From a Rich Past to Today's Fashion Leaders. And so it looks at some of the early entrepreneurs of Kansas City's fashion history. And it's a partnership between the Kansas City Museum and the Computer History Museum in California. And it is part of a series called Upstart, Stories of Entrepreneurs from Silicon Valley and Kansas City. And you said that was 800 Broadway location? It is at the 800 Broadway location. Okay, wonderful. We started this digital series back in September called the Museum Sessions, where we explore Kansas City's stories, one song at a time. And we just released our most recent recording with Crystal Warren. And you can find the videos on our website, also on our YouTube page. And Crystal is singing a beautiful song called Thanks and Praise. And we are doing this series in collaboration with UNESCO, Kansas City Creative Cities, and with One Kansas City Radio. In 2017, Kansas City became designated as the only city of music in the United States, part of the UNESCO network. It's a really important designation, and Anita Dixon and Dr. Jacob Wagner are working incredibly hard to spread the word about the UNESCO designation for Kansas City and to work with the Kansas City Museum and other arts and culture organizations to create UNESCO programming on an ongoing basis. But it's a a real point of pride for Kansas City to be the only city of music in the UNESCO network. We thought that the museum sessions would be a, a great way to highlight the designation and to showcase musicians. Do you have any other artists lined up? At this point in time, Anita and Jacob and I need to get together and determine the rest of the programming for 2020. But we hope to release a video every couple of months and then hopefully have some sort of culminating performance with those musicians when the museum reopens. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here, for giving us updates and kind of sharing more of the vision of the museum. And I think all of Kansas City, not just the Northeast, is really excited for this opening and anticipating it. I mean, it's just such a huge part of the city and especially of the Northeast community. So to have it kind of be mildly shut down (laughs) or under renovation, uh, I think we can all feel it. So we're definitely excited Thank for you. that to reopen um, and for everyone to just be brought back into the Northeast and experience that. Thank so, you. We really yeah, appreciate it. Of course. All right. Thank you so much. And that was Anna Marie Tutera, Executive Director of the Kansas City Museum. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Northeast Newscast. I'm Elizabeth Orozco. Mm-hmm.